Welcome to the City Life Podcast. I'm Tim Woody, the pastor of City Life Church in downtown Fort Worth. There is purpose for your life. There's a destiny you have yet to walk into, and there is hope regardless of what you're facing today. I encourage you to open your heart now to what God will be speaking to you over these next few minutes. All right, thank you guys. Thank you. Patty cake. All right, but uh, you don't have to do that. Hey, but it's so good to see you guys this morning. I want you to go ahead and get your Bibles open right now. Let's go ahead and, and get our Bibles open to Matthew chapter 22, verse 2. Matthew 2, 2, 2. Matthew 22, verse 2. I want to welcome you guys who are joining us online. I know some of you have messaged me this morning that you're ill, that you're not able to be here today, but we do welcome you online. Those of you who, who can't be with us are on vacation, or even my mother out in West Texas, God bless you, and welcome you guys to church today. Matthew chapter 2, verse 22. While you're finding that, hold your place there. Uh, and, and, and while you're doing that, I want to just briefly review our four spiritual growth elements that I strongly recommend that you get into your life and, and do that today. This is something we started off the month with. And the four elements are this. They're all F's, focus, fast, fellowship, and feast. And it's all about being proactive in your spiritual growth. Focus, remember, is to select one word that's going, that, that, that's going to help you to remain focused in your spiritual life this, uh, this year. Second is the word to fast, and we believe in fasting and prayer, and we're just today wrapping up our three weeks of fasting and prayer, and, and be very intentional about your prayer life as well. The third one is fellowship, and that is about intentionally, it's all very intentional, surrounding yourself with other believers being a part of a connect group, getting yourself into some discipleship-oriented activities. And the fourth one is to feast, and that is to consume the Word of God on a regular basis. Feast on His Word. Uh, get a Bible reading plan or do something, but make sure that you're in the Word of God every day. All right, well, the, the title of my message today is a tire check. Now, I'm not talking about checking your tires. Maybe when they got a little cooler, some of you noticed that, that a little light came on or you know that you need to check the air pressure in your tires. No, I'm talking about your attire. So, so that's the title of my uh, message today. And so I'm, yeah, can you just do this? Will you just check your attire right now? I mean, how do you look? How do you, now, I'm not asking you what somebody else looks like. So some of you starting to look at other people. No, look at yourself. What does your attire look like? Ah, that's what I'm talking about today. Well, as I was thinking about this, my mind went back to when I was in ninth grade and I was attending a, a school called Vernon Junior High School in Harlingen, Texas, way down the very southern part of Texas, down at the very tip of Texas. That's where I was living and my dad pastored a church down there and, and, uh, and, and I, I only had like about an eight block walk to get from my house to school. So during those years of junior high, which is called middle school now, uh, I, I would walk to school and, and get there. And then, and then there would, the, the bell would ring and you would go outside. Uh, you would stay outside until the bell would ring and then you could go in. And, and I looked up a picture of my old school and, and it's, a, it's, a, it's a beautiful old school, Vernon Junior High. You guys can put that picture up there right now. Uh, there, there it is. That, that's, my high, that's my junior high. It's an old, it was actually the original uh, 
the, the original high school building there, and they turned it into another, you know, as the city continued to grow. But it's a, it was an old building then. It's still there now, and so it's a really, really old building. It's cool because it actually had a courtyard right in the middle of it and everything. Uh, they just don't build buildings like that anymore. But, but I spent quite a bit of time in the halls of this building. And, and if you'll notice, there are two entrances there. There are one on each side, and of course there are wings that, that extend a little further out. But inside of one of those doors, and you never knew which one, would be the assistant principal. Now this, is, this assistant principal, this guy was on the ball. I mean, he knew the names of most of the students. And, and I, th- I thought that was amazing. And, and when we would walk through that door, he would inspect us. He would do an attire check to make sure that we we're not being apathetic with our grooming and with our attire. And, and, and you know, what, what would happen is, is there, there were dress codes back in those days. We didn't have uniforms, but we had very serious dress codes. One of them, I don't know what any of the dress codes were for the ladies because I didn't care about, well, I cared about the girls, but I didn't care about their dress codes, but I knew about the guys. And one of them was you had to have your shirt tucked in. So if you came in through the door, your shirt was not tucked in, and that happened to be the door the assistant principal was at. He would stop you, call you by name, and make you tuck your shirt in. If you came in and you, as a guy, if you came in and had facial hair, any facial hair, you would be called out by the, prince, by the assistant principal by name, and he would tell you that tomorrow he's going to be watching for you. You would have to report to his office, and you'd have to show that you had shaved. You couldn't have anything on. And I remember guys getting in trouble all the time. I don't, I, I, I don't think I ever got in trouble for either of those. Well, I know I didn't about the facial hair because I, like, I had a smooth face till I was a senior in high school, but so now I'm making up for all that time right now. But, but you know, it, it, was, it, was, a, it was a little bit uh, intimidating. There was that pressure because, you, I, I mean, I've, honestly, I felt anxiety every time I walked through the doors. Is this going to be the door the assistant principal's at? And if so, I hope I pass the test. And he, he never called me out. But I, I think it really goes back to the fact that when I was younger, when I was 12 years old, my mother, my wonderful mother, she made sure that I had begun to really watch my attire and my grooming. In fact, I remember clearly her saying this, that you're not a little boy anymore and you're going to start taking care of yourself better and I'm not going to be getting you dressed and putting, making you look good. So you're going to have to make sure that your shirt is tucked in, that your clothes are looking good. You set your clothes out the night before and, and be ready to go in the mornings. And she also told me you're going to go in and use the blow dryer. Now, this is when the hair blow dryers were brand new. In fact, they weren't like the long things that are cannons today. They go, no, no. There were this little, there were these little things that kind of looked like a, like, like an electronic brush and they would just go, they would push out a little bit of air, but you're going to start using that. And I would, I would, and you're going to start showering in the mornings instead of taking a bath at night. You're going to be a big boy. So I, I started doing that, and and I would get get the uh, get up a little extra early and do all that. I would use the blow dryer and blow my hair, and my hair got really puffy. You know, if you had puffy dry hair back at that time, you were in. And man, I tell you what, my hair was puffy and it was dry looking. It looked good, and so I would I would be ready to go and. And she would say, you're going to use the mirror every morning to look at that reflection and make sure that your appearance is acceptable before you head off to school, before you go to church. And so 
I did that, and I, I'm grateful for that because that, that kept me from getting in trouble when I was uh, a few years later when I was 14, 15, when I was walking through those doors and never got nailed by the assistant principal. But, but you know, we, we, we tend to observe ourselves quite a bit in mirrors. I, I really didn't use them much uh, until my mother started putting pressure on me to, to use it, but, but we do that. In fact, most of you don't even realize how many times you use a mirror during the day. You, you really don't. Uh, it, it, was, it was funny that this, because there was a time, I, I don't know whether ladies do this or not, but you would carry around a little per, mirror in your purse to look at yourself. Some of you may still do that. I know that a lot of people have, a lot of uh, you, us use some, a different method today. We actually use our cell phones. So you put it on selfie and you look and it actually works as a mirror. And it was kind of funny because the, the, I was thinking about this this morning and then honest, honestly, just, just at dawn, just as the sun was coming up, there was a homeless guy out here. They all have cell phones. And, and so he, he pulls out his cell phone and he's doing this, like looking at himself and, and making sure he looked good for the day. And I'm saying, you know what? That guy's got some style right there. But we, I, I assume 100% of you used a mirror today and, and you're, you're going to keep using it throughout the day. And, and really, it just kind of, you don't even realize that you're doing it. You just kind of look, glance in the mirror, make sure you're looking good, and you head on. It's this attire check. You want to make sure you are presentable. Now, think about this. We do that for our bodies, which will ultimately become dust at some point. We do that to look presentable. We, we do it because of so, certain cultural norms, and we need to be sure to blend into the culture appropriately, or there are certain expectations for places you go or things that you do that, that you want to be, have, have the right attire for. So what do we do? We use mirrors, and the Word of God is like a mirror. Did you know that? You see, the scriptures tell us this in several different places, that the word of God actually gives us a reflection of ourselves. And I'm not talking about the physical appearance, but I'm talking about what's inside. And, and, and it helps us to see what needs to be corrected or what needs to be altered. And when we're daily in the word of God, that's one of the things that really helps with this. So let's go to Matthew chapter 22. We're going to start with verse 2 and look at all the way down through verse 14. I like to read from the New American Standard Version typically. And so, so we'll, we'll take a look at that. Let's start with the very second verse, Matthew 22 Verse number two, follow with me. It says, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who held a wedding feast for his son. He sent his slaves to call those who had been invited to the wedding feast and they were unwilling to come. Again, he sent other slaves saying, tell those who have been invited, prepare, behold, I have prepared my dinner, my oxen and my fattened cattle are all butchered and everything is ready. Come to the wedding feast. But they paid no attention. Went their separate ways. One to his own farm, another to his own business. And the rest seized his slaves and treated them abusively and then killed them. Now, the king was angry. I get that, all right? And he sent his armies and destroyed those murderers and set their city on fire. I'll explain in a second. Then he said to his slaves, the wedding feast is ready, but those who were invited were not worthy. So go to the main roads and invite whomever you find there to the wedding feast. And those slaves went out into the streets and they gathered together all whom they have found, both bad and good. And the wedding hall was filled with dinner guests. But 
when the king came in to look over the dinner guests, he saw a man there who was now dressed in wedding clothes, and he said to him, friend, how did you get in here without wedding clothes? The man was speechless. And then the king said to his servants, tie his hands and feet and throw him into outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth in that place. For many are called, but few are chosen. Wow. Now, you probably are glancing and saying, what does all of this mean? You might get some little images of what this means, but I want to help you through it here because I, I, I've, I've preached from this many times, but every time I get into this, I really have to wrestle with the passage and, and, and research everything. In this case, research everything about spiritual attire that I find in the Bible from the beginning to the very end. And, and, and th- there's a lot that's in the Bible about what we put on about what we wear, about how we present ourselves. And one thing is for certain, God cares about your attire. Now, historically, the church has has interpreted this throughout the scriptures in, I would say, somewhat of a shallow manner. Uh, Essentially, the way it's played out culturally in the past is, is if you are not dressed flawlessly to attend church, then you shouldn't attend. And, and, and I remember the days when some people, if they weren't meeting up to the expectation of the vice principal or the usher at the door, they would be escorted back out of church if they weren't wearing the right clothes, if maybe if they were wearing casual clothes. But some of you guys would be escorted out right now. But that's, I'm not doing that, all right? We're not looking at this in a shallow way. Uh, you, I'm, I'm pleased with, everybody's dressed fine. But see, this, that's not what the scriptures are saying about attire. See, all through the Bible, God uses attire as a reflection of the condition of your heart. See, the word of God becomes a mirror and you can see the condition of your heart when you see the word, when the word of God, it, when it presents itself to you. Now, again, physical attire is important. I mean, Rebecca, this last week, she bought me a new cardigan. And she said, you're going to wear that on Sunday. And you know what I said to her? I said, well, yes, ma'am. Yeah, I, I obey her. I, I'm, I'm going to do it. I'll, I'll do what she says. But even more, when we look into the mirror of God's word, we have to do, and we should naturally do, an attire check for our spiritual lives. Now, now, there are, we are three-part beings. We are body, soul, and spirit. The body is the part of us that's, that will return to dust and will go away. But the soul and the spirit is going to live forever. So God looks at that part. That's what God is focused on. So this parable ultimately is about spiritual attire. And it is meant to shock you. It is meant to wake you up, and it is meant to be a mirror for your soul and for your spirit. Now, the, the part of this sermon or this parable that, that was delivered, the, or this, this particular portion of the sermon, this was delivered about five days before Jesus' crucifixion. Uh, these are some of Jesus' last words, and if you study the New Testament at all, Jesus really ratchets it up when you're getting right near the end, and he is in your face, and that's what he's doing right here. So what was happening is he was preaching in the temple courts. So this was just outside of the temple. This is where the rabbis would come and their followers would follow them. And, and so there'd be kind of like little 
small groups, little connect groups, or, or, or people that would follow certain rabbis. This is where the rabbis would normally preach. Uh, but Jesus had just come into town, and he had just come into town on this donkey, and they had hailed him as king. You know about the triumphal entry. I mean, it was a beautiful, wonderful thing, but it stirred up the whole city. And, 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 and you know, you have to understand, then as a result, Jesus goes right in there to the temple courts, and he's there, and he is preaching and he's teaching. So the Pharisees and the chief priests and all the religious people were there with the followers and they were standing there with their arms folded because they didn't like this guy because he got more attention than they did. So in order to understand this parable, I want us to go to the very end of it first. So take a look at Matthew chapter 22, verse 14, so we can kind of see how it ends and then we can understand the rest. First of all, in, in that part, Matthew 22, 14, he says, many are called, but few are chosen. Now, this has been a little, just a small little phrase that has brought incredible debate amongst theologians, but I want us to take a very quick look at what this means. The New Testament was written in the Greek language, and so there are two Greek words there. The first one is the Greek word, which is translated called, which is kletos, and that means appointed, called, or a saint. So, so how does that apply? Many are called. That, that would apply basically to anyone who goes to church. Maybe you go to Christian events and, and, and you, you, maybe you just, you just hang out with Christians. You, go, you, you hang out with, a, with, a, with other people who call themselves believers. But it says, but few are chosen. So that is the word eklektos, which which means selected or favored or elect. And that comes from the same Greek root, but it's actually at a higher level. It's at a different level. So there's this higher level, kletos, which means you are elected. That means you are elected, you're selected, you're favored. You're one of the ones who gets to enjoy the wedding feast. But, oh, but you only get to do that unless you are first <laughs> appointed and called. So you actually, but you actually get to stay. And that's what's being told in the story here. So what is the market difference between the two? It comes down to one thing very clearly, the attire. Because when the king looked at the attire, he said, you may have been called, but you've not been chosen. It's about spiritual attire. Now, here's the meaning of the parable. The king represents God, God the Father. And he is doing this huge wedding feast for his son, Jesus. That's what the imagery is here. But the party has not yet begun yet. He's still just putting everything together. And then it talks about the slaves. And in some of your translations that may say servants, we, we tend to think of slaves as people who are being whipped and beaten. And that's not at all what that meant in the New Testament at all. But, but these would have been devout workers who were uh, following Jesus. They were working for his kingdom. These are the people who were evangelizing and discipling and preaching in our vernacular, these were the people who were making Jesus known on their cultural streets. And so this, this entire prophecy, excuse me, this entire parable is actually a prophecy. It's a two-part prophecy. Uh, the first part was fulfilled in the first century after Jesus had, had, uh, had ascended into heaven. Um, and and the, it's, it's very clear what happened here. The invitation went out to Israel to repent and come to Christ, and many did not come. So many were called. 
Jesus went around preaching. Many were called. Jesus said he was called to, to Israel. So he, many were called. But the slaves of God, so what they're doing is they're going out and telling how good this is, how there's this grain-fed beef in a sense. There's going to be this awesome banquet. You need to be a part of this. Many are called, but a lot of people didn't pay attention. It says many just went back to their jobs and just carried on with their lives. And then there were others who were so incited with this invitation that they decided that they were going to go out and injure and, 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 and even kill some of those slaves in Jerusalem. We see that with John the Baptist being headed in Jerusalem. Uh, James was killed by Herod's sword. Stephen was stoned to death right there in Jerusalem. So, so it says the king gets angry, naturally. So that's, that's God. And it says he destroys the murderers and burns the city. Now, I know you might be saying, now, what is that all about? Well, that's something that's told, all, it's, it's prophesied in the New Testament as well as the Old Testament, but that's what happened with the destruction of Jerusalem in 70 AD under Emperor Titus. They came in and actually destroyed Jerusalem, and, and the, the last people to actually perish in that were those who were holding out in, at the temple. And, uh, and, and they, they're the ones who met certain death because they, they had resisted the Romans. So that's a picture. This is an artist, rendering a, uh, an artist rendering of what the destruction of Jerusalem looked like. It was burned with fire. And those who did not accept Christ were actually killed by the Romans. So that's the fulfillment of it. So, so you have to keep in mind, though, the audience, the people who were listening to this parable, they were Jesus followers as well as a number of priests. And, and, and religious leaders, Pharisees. So we have to ask ourselves this question. If you're going to interpret the scriptures well, you do have to go back and say, who was the original audience and what, was, what were they saying to that audience? That's very important. And so the original art audience were these religious people who did not like Jesus at all, as well as some of his followers. So it, it would essentially be, let's just put it into today's word, uh, words, it would be people who go to church. So that's who he's preaching to. Now, there's the second part of the parable which has yet to happen. It has yet to come, uh, take place because, again, this is a prophetic parable in two parts. See, everyone had the opportunity to put on the wedding attire. And there is this time that is about to come when, when, when everything's going to come to an end. So, so, so when the king comes out, he begins to inspect the party. Before the sun comes out, this is before the party actually begins, he found a guest who was not in the proper attire, so he was tied up, and he was thrown into outer darkness where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. Well, we, th we simply know what that is. That's a very clear representation of hell. So, let's dive into this. I want to just get this clear in our hearts. The Word of God is coming directly to you, to every single one of us, to take action on your spiritual attire now. Now, the garment represents salvation and righteousness, which is an absolute requirement in order to get into heaven, to enter the kingdom. And so if you're not wearing the garment of salvation, the truth is hell is the punishment. And it's very, very clear, even if you go to church, if you've not received Christ, if you're not a Christ follower, that is your end. So today, I'll say this once, I'll say it again, I want you to forsake 
spiritual apathy and do a spiritual attire check. Why? Because your future depends on it. Really for all of us. Many receive the invitation into God's kingdom. Comparatively few will actually make it into eternity because they neglected to clothe themselves in the righteousness of Christ. So, so again, the basic spiritual attire is the righteousness of Christ Jesus through salvation. Do you understand that? So again, if you've given your life to Christ, if you're a Christian, you are clothed in Christ, you are clothed in his righteousness. In fact, Romans chapter 13, verse 14 says that this clothing, this attire is the Lord Jesus Christ. Galatians chapter uh, 3, verse 27 says this attire is Christ. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 24, I want to read this to you. It says, put on the new self, which is the likeness of God, Uh, which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. So that's why accepting Jesus and serving him is so important because you can't get in by your own righteousness or your own good works. You've got to have him. You've got to be clothed in him. Plus, another beautiful benefit of this is in the spirit realm. I mean, the enemy even sees you as the righteousness in Christ Jesus. We're even called a kingdom of priests. So when you put on Christ, I mean, the enemy looks at you and he says, well, that's the righteousness of Christ, hands off. And that's a beautiful thing about being a believer is Satan cannot uh, curse you. That's a blessing. That's a wonderful thing. But even going back to the Old Testament, as John shared earlier, the things that are in the Old Testament are pictures of the New Testament. Uh, the, the, the writer of Hebrews says they are t- these are types and shadows of what is to come. So reflected in the attire of the Old Testament priests, we see something absolutely riveting. Now take a look at that image that I have up there on the screens. Now, everything in the Old Testament, everything is types and shadows. Remember this. We are a kingdom of what? Priests. So this, this attire, which is described throughout the Old Testament, but especially like you know, Exodus chapter 29 is the first time we start hearing about it, it actually parallels our spiritual attire. Two different types. Interesting, isn't it? So there were the basic priests, the basic ones. I'll leave that up there for a second. They're the basic priests, and they were clothed in white robes, basic white. So there would, they would have this, this ephod. It was called an ephod, and it was just a basic white robe. And the majority of the priests would wear that. But there were some priests, some unique priests, who would wear this tunic, and that tunic was very elaborate. It was, it was put together with expensive fabric. Jewels and precious stones were weaved into it. So the, the ephod, and it would go over the ephod. So the ephod represents salvation. So your spirit is pure. You've been saved. You've been born again. You're clothed in Christ. But there is still another level that you can attain, and I'm going to challenge you on that as well today, and that's the elaborate tunic, which represents spiritual growth. It's this enhanced attire. It's about advancing spiritually to an even higher level. Now, only these priests who wore the elaborate tunic could enter into the presence of God, not the ones who were wearing the basic. They were the only ones who could go into the holy, the, the, the holy of holies in the most holy place. So 
It's very obvious there is a more elaborate spiritual attire that's available to every single one of us. And I hope you're beginning to see this. Again, keep this in mind. God cares about your spiritual attire. Ultimately, it's the condition of your heart. It's the condition of your soul. Now, I want to step away for just a second, and, and I want to give you an example of this. This is found in 1 uh, Samuel chapter number 16. It's when David was chosen as the king of Israel. God had rejected Saul, and God was seeking out a new king, and God had found this new king, so God spoke to the prophet Samuel and said, I want you to go to the house of Jesse. One of his sons is to be the next king to take over from Saul. So he went to the house of Jesse. Jesse had eight sons, and they were... And Jesse brought in seven of his sons, his, his oldest seven. These were rugged, handsome, capable men. And God literally said no to every single one of them as, as Jesse brought them before him. See, 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 7, take a look at it. It's on the screens. It says, but the Lord said to Samuel, do not look at his appearance or at the height of his stature because I have rejected him. For God does not see as man sees. Since man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the what? The heart. So Samuel's like, well, you have any more sons? <laughs> I've seen seven of them, and God's saying no to all of them. Jesse said, well, yeah, there, there's David. He, he's the youngest. And he would have been probably about 16, 17 years old. But he's a shepherd. He's hanging out there in the fields and like, he sings and plays his guitar all day. Now, I, I know he didn't have a guitar. I know. For those of you who are literalists, he had a harp. But I, I haven't seen any harp players up here, but I've seen some guitar players. So let's just, it was a stringed instrument. So he's out there playing his guitar and singing all day with the sheep and you know, what Jesse had done is he had marginalized David, and he didn't even bring him into the room. There's, he's just thinking, there's no way on earth it could be David. But even though his father felt that way, God had selected David. <laughs> and in that same way, you have God's favor, even if you don't have man's favorability. It's the attire of your heart, which is beautiful. You've already been chosen for greatness, which was the case with David. See, what, what God saw was someone who was humble, who cared deeply about the sheep, someone who had a heart of worship, someone who had the heart of a warrior. Please know this. God is watching your heart in those small things. See, 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 David, when he was watching the sheep, he was in this dress rehearsal of sorts, just, just rehearsing essentially without even knowing it for how God was going to use him. And this is where God worked on his attire, and he worked on his attire, his heart. Basically, David already had the right spiritual attire as the man of God that God wanted to use. See, 1 Samuel chapter 13, verse 14 says this. It says, the Lord has sought for himself a man after his own, what? Heart. And the Lord has appointed him ruler over his people. <laughs> you see, David just loved to do God's will. He loved God. So when, when David came before Samuel, it's very obvious from the scriptures, if you read it, 
he was very likely just stinky and smelly. He was in his shepherd's attire. In fact, he w- no one was even allowed to sit down until David arrived. There's no evidence that he took time to shower and fix his hair, blow dry his hair, put on some cologne. You know, he didn't look or smell like a king at all. He's carrying his guitar in, you know. But he had the spiritual attire of a king. In a sense, it was like he was wearing the priestly tunic spiritually. That's what I want you to see. See, the condition of your heart is your spiritual attire. Now, people, they're going to look at your outward appearance, but God is looking at your heart, that spiritual attire, and that is what is going to launch you into the greater things of God. Now, that's, that's what it's like with this elaborate priestly tunic that only certain people were allowed to wear into the Holy of Holies. So what does it look like for us? Well, I believe we see this throughout the New Testament. Um, and, and Paul wrote, wrote in Colossians chapter 3, verse 12, a description of this kind of heart attire. And I want you to look at this and let this be a mirror for yourself. Let's do an attire check as I read through this. Put on, okay? This is attire. Put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility gentleness and patience, bearing with one another, forgiving each other. Whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so must you do also. In addition to all these things, put on love, which is a perfect bond of unity. That's like the tunic. You see, but, but really, even all through the scriptures, we're told to put on different garments or uh, and essentially tunics. This is, this is a, a, you know, of course we have salvation, the beautiful white robe, but, but, but we need to continue to move forward in our walk with God where, where we have this attire that reflects our hearts. Psalm chapter 30, verse 11 says that attire looks like gladness. Isaiah 61, verse 3 says it's praise. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 5 talks about the clothing of humility. Romans chapter 13, verse 12 talks about the clothing of light. Proverbs chapter 31, verse 25 talks about strength and dignity being your clothing. And that's actually specifically for ladies. Luke chapter 24, verse 49 talks about being clothed with power from on high. See, God is calling us to move beyond just the white rope and enhance our attire, our heart, with works of righteousness and spiritual character development and and the, the, the spiritual traits of God himself. And so now, my friend, is the time for a spiritual attire. Check, let the word of God be a mirror for you today. What does your heart look like? Have you gotten sloppy with it? Are you holding on to hatred? Unforgiveness? anger, hostility toward someone who wronged you? God's looking at your spiritual attire to see if you're ready for that next big thing that he has planned for you. So I challenge you today to forsake spiritual apathy and do a spiritual attire check because your future 
depends on it. As we're finishing up our 21 days of fasting and prayer, I, I want to ask you, where do you stand? Because when we go through those times, God reveals things about ourselves, and it's not always pretty. We begin to see this stuff coming to the surface. But I, th I think it's, it's good sometimes just to narrow it down. And I, I'm going to ask you to narrow it down today. Here's my, my question for you. What is one thing, just for today, that you need to do to enhance your spiritual attire? One thing. Uh, is it faithlessness or judging or addictions that you need to be set free from? What is it? And I say the word of God is coming to you right now to take action on your spiritual attire right now. And I'm urging you to move into a radical devotion to Jesus Christ to truly be a disciple of Jesus. This is one who is, this is one who is intensely focused on being a God fearing disciple. And you know what? You can't read the parable about the wedding feast and not come away with the fear of God. I'm urging you guys, grow spiritually. I'm urging you to be discipled. I'll tell you guys, that's where this church is and that's where this church is going to continue to grow. No shallow Christianity for us. And we need each other to be discipled as God desires. You can't grow spiritually into what God desires without other people. You can't. That's why scriptures are clear about why we need each other. We've got to be with each other to sharpen each other spiritually. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23. Look at it. It says, let us hold firmly to the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. And let's, and let's consider how to encourage one another. You see those three words? Encourage one another in love and good deeds. That's what I'm talking about. That's where we have to go. That's the tunic. Not abandoning our meeting together as some and the habit of as is the habit of some people, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. And, and you've heard me teach from this passage many times that I believe the day of the Lord is drawing very near. And that, that word encourage is found twice in this passage. And that word encourage means to stir up, to stir up. I want to stir you up today and I hope you're feeling stirred up. I really do. I also tell you this, the godly men and women who are leading those connect groups want to stir you up. It's not about some fluffy, puffy times. It's about growing spiritually. You know, our, our connect groups, they don't exist just because these leaders have nothing else to do. Trust me, I know them. They have plenty to do. These connect groups are actually our primary means of discipleship in this church. That's why everyone needs to be in, in, a, in a connect group. Because what we do is we become more refined. We grow spiritually. and That's that, that putting on that tunic and moving to that new level. I've had a lot of people ask me, well, how do I grow spiritually? My, my answer is going to include this. You need to be in a connect group. You need the fellowship of other believers. You need that. You know, 
this, again, this is our primary vehicle for personal discipleship in our church. And, and I'll, I'll just challenge you on this. I know we're hitting this hard today, but there should not be one person who leaves here today without signing up for at least one connect group. Some of you can sign up for two or three because you know you, you, you should do it. You can. Because what's going to happen in a connect group is you're going to be exposed to the Word of God in a different way that happens on a Sunday morning, and it is going to be a mirror of your heart, and God will speak to you about your attire. Make it clear. It's time for an attire check. I'm going to ask you to stir each other up to be spiritually decked out through discipleship. No more lazy Christianity for us. I want you to reject apathetic Christianity. Look at the mirror of God's word. And I know we don't, these connect groups haven't started yet and we're still just ramping up and we've had some bad weather days and people were scared to come to church because it was colder outside and, 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 and you know, it's, it's getting better. So, but what I want to ask you right now is go ahead and begin to sign up for this stuff. That, 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 that's primarily what I want you to do, an action item for this sermon today, as well as defining, as, as addressing something specifically you need to do in your own life during your, regarding your spiritual attire. So will you be intentional about discipleship so that your spiritual attire will not just be what's barely acceptable to get you into heaven, but instead would be a thrill to God? Again, this is about heart change. Like John said earlier, don't be lukewarm. And truth be told, none of us have arrived. Many are called, few are chosen. For me, even as a pastor, I have to have this as well. I not only lead a connect group, but I'm a part of other assembling of ministers. In fact, here in a couple weeks, two or three weeks, I'll be getting together with some other ministers, which is my primary connect group here in the Metroplex. We're going to spend two, three days together just sharpening each other and encouraging each other in the Lord and in the Word of God. We need that. I need that. We all need that. No one is exempt from that. Many are called, but few are chosen. I'm going to ask you to consider where you stand. Just nobody looking around right now. First of all, if you're not sure about your eternal destiny, if you are not sure about Jesus being the Lord of your life, there's sin in your heart, you know you're not right with God, then let me make it clear, you're not wearing that white robe which gets you into God's kingdom. Revelation is beautiful as it explains the beauty of those dressed in white robes are there in his kingdom, and I, I want that for every single one of you. Don't pass up this moment and essentially send yourself to hell because you don't want Jesus to forgive your sins. It's, to me, it, it's like, it, it just makes no sense. So if that's you this morning, you need Jesus in your life, you need to turn your life around, you, you're ready to give your heart to him, would you just, with nobody looking around, just lift your hand up for me because I want to see it. I'm going to give you a count of three. Just lift up the count of three. I'll see you, and I'll connect my faith with you. Would you do that? Just one, two, three. Lift your hand up. If you need Jesus this morning, you want to give your life to Christ in this room.
This is one of those rare times where nobody's lifting their hands. So I'm going to assume every single person in this room is dressed in that white robe. So now I'm going to really ramp it up. I'm going to ask you guys to get serious about the tunic. Get serious about this call for discipleship and instilling the character of Christ into you through other believers, through assembling together just like what the scripture says so that you will defeat apathetic Christianity. I want to pray for every single one of you. So will you you guys please stand? Everyone in the room, stand. And I want you to receive this prayer. Receive this prayer right now. In fact, just just open your heart, just just even physically with, with your hands out. Just open your heart. Pray these words with me. Dear Jesus, I accept the call. I accept the challenge to be a radical disciple of you, Lord. I choose, Lord, to walk in the ways of God and to allow your word to be a mirror for my soul. I desire, Lord, to wear that tunic to be bright and shining for you. I want to be used by you. I want to make a difference in this world. So I commit myself to discipleship, to growth, and for change in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen, amen. I believe this. I stand on it. And again, I challenge you, don't leave this room That's my challenge. I don't think God will strike you if you don't, but... Thank you for tuning in to the City Life Church podcast. I would love for you to attend one of our worship services right here in downtown Fort Worth. So if you'd like more information, simply go to citylifefw.org. God bless.